Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Y'all listen, are your ears open this morning and ready to receive? Come on, are they open and ready to receive? Some of you are like, they're barely open. I just had my coffee, first cup right now. I want to challenge you today to hear something in a completely different light. I want to challenge you today to hear something from a different place. I want to try to challenge you to take everything that you've kind of heard about this phrase, eternal life, and I want you to put it to the side, and I want you to try to come to it with a blank slate. I know that's an impossibility. I really do. I get it. Like, we have it so ingrained in this, but I want you to hear something uh, different today. Does that sound good? This is what our question comes up this week. Listen, if you missed uh, uh, last week when we had Lisa uh, Wyatt here speaking, it was fantastic. It's, it's up online on the podcast. That was there. It was a great place. I had a packed house last week. We had a full house this week, too. Come on, somebody. But, but, but the week before that, Pastor Kim preached on the difference between saved and salvation and, and what those words mean. And for a lot of us, we've grown up hearing the word saved to mean being, uh, uh, being saved from this present world and going to heaven one day when we die. That's what salvation means. And she did a great job kind of redefining that and help us, helping us understand what saved and salvation look like both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this week, I want to kind of piggyback a little bit on some of the things that she had talked about, actually eternal life, I want to piggyback on that and help you guys kind of see it from a different light. So the question that we have today is what is eternal life? Is it the same as salvation? I love it because y'all know I was going to be preaching a whole series on this, like a couple of weeks on eternal life a while back before we started the Got Questions series, and then I thought, why do four weeks when I can do four hours in one day? And so that's what we're going to do right here, right now. <laughs> I'm justified. She said, don't encourage that foolishness. All right, guys, I got 35 minutes. Y'all know how this goes, right? So, so is eternal life, what is eternal life, and is it the same as salvation? Let me start off by saying this, that most Christians have a, a view of eternal life that looks something like this. Eternal life is the reward of salvation. Right? It's the reward of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. Eternal life is living forever in heaven. That's what we've been told, right? Uh, Eternal life was a a hidden message in Jesus' ministry. It was a hidden message because all the people he was talking to clearly didn't understand that he wasn't talking about salvation in this world or or life in this world, but that he was talking about a life one day off in the future. So it was a hidden message in Jesus' ministry. Another another term that we may may believe is that eternal life is living living forever. Wait a minute. Let me, let me back up. Eternal life as in living forever ever, was something everyone in Jesus' day was trying to figure out how to obtain. In other words, they knew exactly what we know today, but they didn't know it when he was walking with them. And the third thing is, or the fifth thing is, eternal life, we've been told, is the opposite of eternal hell. Okay? Those are all the different ways that we've heard eternal life explained. And so I'm going to stretch your thinking today. That's a new thing, isn't it? Right? I'm going to stretch your thinking today. You can take this and you can listen to it and jot notes down and explore it for yourself. Be a good uh, a Berean. You know, the Bereans studied Paul and they studied out the scriptures. When Paul tried to preach the, the gospel to them, they studied the scriptures to find it faithful, find it true. So I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. 
okay? Study the scriptures, but listen with open ears. Eternal life has been cheapened with these definitions I just listened or list above. Did you hear me? Eternal life has been cheapened. It is so much more richer than the phrases that you just heard. Eternal life is a now thing that leads to a then thing. That was really good. That's quotable. That's tweetable. There you go. Yeah, thank you. No, don't clap right now. It's not there. I haven't gotten there yet. I will say it again because it's so good. Eternal life is a now thing that leads to a then thing. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. The meanings we give words, and I'm sticking close to this because I really want to make sure we get this out. The meanings that we give words shape how we view the events they reference, i.e., when we understand saved and salvation uh, to mean escaping and going off to heaven one day, right? That definition changes how we read Scripture. Scriptures that are not supposed to be confusing then become confusing. Like scriptures, and and same thing with the way that we understand heaven and hell as destinations instead of experiences changes how we read scripture. And then we get confused, especially when you read some of the hyperbolic language and parables that Jesus shared when he talked about a place of eternal flames or a, a place of hell, which is the English translation. Hell is not in the Greek translation. It's Gehenna or Tardis or whatever the case is. It's just been classified as one word hell in, in the Bible. So if we come to the table with heaven and hell being a destination, then when we read certain scriptures, it will become confusing, right? The same thing applies with eternal life. If we understand eternal life as escaping, oh, wait, real quick, as I said this on hell, um, I'm going to do a series. We're going to do a series <laughs> the last three weeks of October leading up to Halloween called H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> and we're going to explore all there is about hell in three weeks. So, promise, three weeks. So, so, but eternal life does the same thing. Y'all, y'all following me? Listen, eternal life does the same thing. If we understand eternal life as escaping earth to live forever in a heavenly place far, far away, then we will misread and misunderstand scriptures. It is in no way what the first century audience believed eternal life was. And let me just challenge you on this. That definition of eternal life wasn't even the definition that Jesus believed. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. See, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't even have a concept of escaping earth. Did you know that? They had a concept of dying. They had a concept of when I die, I go to the grave. They called it Sheol, right? That's the grave. If I'm not in my body, then I'm in Sheol. And, and good old translators of the Bible said, oh, that must mean hell. And they made it hell. But that's not what they said. That's not what David, that's what the Jewish people didn't understand. They didn't understand Sheol is to be hell? Now listen, listen. They didn't have a concept of heaven like we do today or hell like we think of. Our concept that we draw on heaven and hell today as destination-oriented places comes from Greek mythology. It comes from the Greeks. And it didn't start showing up in Jewish culture until about first century. 
When the rabbis begin to think, well, maybe there's something to this afterlife thing that we can then, uh, maybe we're judged in that moment. We're judged in that moment, and it's only for a certain time. And if you go read the Tumult and, and these other Jewish writings that, that came after the first century, they go on and talk about and they argue about how long a person would stay in a place of punishment that would be considered a hell. How long would you stay there before you were released? And much, much to, to their debate, it was less than a year. This is what the Jewish rabbis were arguing at, at this time. I know this is stretching a lot of us right now because we've grown up in church and we've heard only one thing about hell, one thing about heaven. But I want to challenge you. Again, take what you're hearing, go home and study it out. Amen? Amen? Go home and study it out. All right? So they didn't have a concept like we do today. Our idea of heaven and hell as destination-oriented types of places was Greek pagan-influenced. And it swept in around the first century, a little bit before the first century. And so they didn't have this idea of eternal life being a place where you go forever, right? So in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, the word used for eternal is the word olam, O-L-A-M, okay? Olam. And olam is the closest reference point to what we have today in our, our language as eternal life. But it didn't mean eternal life like we think of it. Olam is actually translated life unto the age. Okay? You hearing me? Listen. Life unto the age. And olam, for for Jewish people, olam refers to a length of time, a period, an age, a time period. And it has a beginning and it has an end, right? It has a constant all the way through it. It's an age is how they they would characterize it. It has a unique and constant characteristic. And a person can live in two ages. This is so important. I want you to hear me when I'm telling you this. A person can live in two ages at once. Let me give you an example. Okay. Y'all remember watching the Flintstones? What age did the Flintstones live in? Come on, y'all know this. They lived in the Stone Age. Do you know what age came after the Stone Age? Not the Ice Age, the Bronze Age. So there's the Stone Age, and then there's the Bronze Age, where people begin to use bronze to fabricate tools and weapons, and it began to change civilization. Tools became stronger and more poignant, uh, whatever that word is. They became more deadly. They, they shifted. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there. But, but it shifted society, and then this is where cities were beginning to be built in the Bronze Age. And then you have, you have uh, uh, different uh, groups of people rising to power. And do you know one of the main uh, power groups in, in the Bronze Age, you know what the, one of the main uh, power groups was? It was the Babylonians. And, and so with the rise of the Bronze Age comes the rise of wars, comes the rise of conquering and oppressing. And do you remember who got oppressed and conquered by the Babylonians? The, the Jews. Right, so they they lived. So, so the Babylonian age was during the Bronze Age. Y'all tracking with me? An age is a time, right, that has a constant. What defines the Bronze Age is that it was constantly bronze. How about that? Like bronze was a central focus. I think it was after that was the Iron Age. I believe it was what it was, and it shifted everything again. Then you have the fall of major civilizations. And so we have this idea, or there's this idea of an age being a, a unique and constant uh, uh, time period that has char- constant characteristics. Right? 
So to understand what life unto the age means, we have to go back to the beginning. Right? The very beginning, we have a story given to us, a beautiful poem in the very beginning of the book of Genesis gives us a story about how man was created. Y'all remember the story about how man and, and was created? Adam and Eve, they were created. They were created from the dust, right? You remember that? They were created from the dust, right? Or Adam was, and she was created from him. But created from the dust. And do you know what it means to, to be created from the dust? It's an idea or it's symbolic of mortality. It's symbolic of mortality. Because when you die, where does your body return to? The dust. It's a it's a symbol of, of mortality. And so God creates mortal beings, and, and then he takes these mortal beings and he places them inside of a garden. Are you tracking with me? I know you got to use your thinking. you got to use your brain. He puts them in the garden. And you remember there's two trees in the garden that we, we hear major, a major story about, right, which is the tree of what? Life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Okay, do you know what the tree of life is called? The tree of life unto the age. And what the tree of life does is it represents and it symbolizes God's life. A God kind of life, right? And what the tree of knowledge and evil represents is a flawed kind of life. And what happened is, is humanity, humanity goes on. And they, they seek their own knowledge. They seek their own kind of life. And they eat from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil. You know, in, in, that, in that story, you have two things at once. You have two ages combined at once. You have the age of God, the age of life, and you have the age of humanity. All together, one in the garden. And then when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're told, right, that they're what? Asked to leave the garden. They leave. It's at that moment that heaven and earth are separated. Those two ages are not walking in uniform together any longer, right? So they go in. So we usher in the, the time of or the age of humanity, the age of death. And so then what you have is you have this this cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again where God comes along, Israel, comes along humanity and is the constant pursuer of humanity. How many of you all understand that? God is the constant pursuer of humanity. Humanity does not ever pursue God first. Ever. But God is the constant pursuer of humanity. And so even when we mess it up, God pursues. Even when they're left outside or, or removed from the garden, at least they take from the tree of life and then live forever as well in God's, in God's life, they, they continue to pursue themselves. God continues to pursue them. And so I, I want you to hear. So the age of, of life that we usher in with humanity once we're exiled from the garden is the age of death. And, and this is the moment where heaven and earth are separated. Man now enters an age where they are the judges of right and wrong. That's where we're at. We're the judges of right and wrong. And do you know what happens when we become the judges of all things right and all things wrong? Do you know what happens? War happens. Do you know what else happens? Poverty happens, right? Greed happens. Death happens. 
So as you read through the Bible, we see the story unfold in which there are a choice. There's a choice being presented on a continual basis to choose one of two ages, one of two ways of life. We see it over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Moses tells Israel, he says this, after they've been let out of Egypt and they've been given the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, he says, today I have given you a choice between what church? Life and death. I've given you a choice between the, the life of the age to come or, or death. I've given you a choice today from the tree of life or, or the tree of knowledge and evil. He said between blessings and between the curses. He says, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose what? Life. That you would choose life. So that you and your descendants may live. Live when? Now. Now. To live now. So you might live. Because when you choose life, you get to experience life. When you choose life, you get to experience what it's like to really live. And then Moses died, and another guy comes along named Joshua, and Joshua replaces Moses, and then Joshua goes over, and he says something very similar and challenging Israel. It's over in in Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. He says this, choose today whom you will serve, but as for me and my my family, we will serve the Lord. Here's your choice. And then... They, along with the prophets, they continue this message and this theme. Choose the age you want to live in. Choose the life unto the age to come. Choose God's way of doing doing things. And, And the cool thing was is they knew God was never going to give up on Israel. They knew God was not going to give up on the promise that he had for humanity. That God is going to somehow bring about a marrying or a unifying of heaven and earth again. Sometime we have a hope, an olam, an age that's coming, an age into to this life that's coming. We, we have a hope towards that. And so God is working in this story of humanity and he's bringing it to a, a, a moment of, of climax. And that moment is the Messiah, Jesus. It's Jesus. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus. Even though humanity continues to reject God, God's life, God's promises, God promises a a way back. He promises a Messiah in the story of Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. This is so awesome. It's been there the whole time. Right? In John chapter 1, it says this in the very beginning. It says, in the beginning was the, come on church people, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Come on. Y'all, that's the closest y'all can get to rapping, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word. Come on, man. Come on, y'all know. Bust some vanilla ice out real quick. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The life unto the age, God, his life, put on flesh, the life unto death, 
and he did something pretty incredible. He brings heaven and he brings earth back together in himself. And then he starts going to people and sharing with them the thing you've been missing for so long I have to offer you, right? And they were looking, the Jewish people were looking for this age unto the life. They were looking for a better life than what they were living. Do you know this is a religion built around slavery? Did you know that? Like this is, every other religion in that time period was built around those who were thriving, Right? If we were winning and we were thriving, it was our religion, a religion of conquering, a religion of champions, a religion of war. And here you have this, this God who is following around the slave people, the Israelites, who seem to keep finding themselves in oppression and they keep looking towards a hope, an age to come. And now these two ages, they are overlapping. In the life and humanity of Jesus. So Jesus lives in the age of mortality and death and in the age of life. And he has that to offer. He has eternal life. He has a life that extends beyond what we're living in now. A life that can change and flip upside down the life of mortality, the age of mortality that we're living in right now. Listen, Jesus, is, this is not about one day off in the future. Will you go one day off in the future? Sure. Will you do it? Yeah. What's it going to be like? What's it all going to look like? I don't know because it doesn't talk more about the future than it does the now. The eternal life is the now that, it, that will lead to the then. But it's more about now. Come on, listen. Listen. So he offers this new way of doing things. John 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to be turned over, and he's having a conversation with God. And this is what he says in verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, and this is eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. If you want to know what life eternal is, it's not escapism. Off in the future one day, it's about an intimate relationship with a God who walks with you step by step, day by day, and trusts you and empowers you to bring heaven to earth everywhere we go. But just like in the garden where Adam and Eve rejected God's life from the tree, they also rejected God's life in Jesus and then nailed him to a tree. But death could not hold him. And the power of God's life raised Jesus to life. And access to the God kind of life has been freely given to everyone. It has been freely given to everyone. Does everyone participate in it? No. No, not everyone participates in it. No, not at all. Someone stole our signs again. Again. Yeah. You know, are they participating in that? In that? No. There was a guy who walked by today. I was just putting the other sign up. And he was yelling and screaming, and he kicked our sign down. And I walked out, and I said, hey. And then he threw his hands up and tried to fight me. Was he participating in the kingdom of God? No. 
Did I participate in the kingdom of God? Yes, I did. <laughs> y'all, that's so bad, y'all. That's so bad. Y'all are like, you punched them, didn't you? No, I did not. This is so bad that you guys are like, <laughs> it's progress, I know. I, just, I, I love, you know what, I, I love you guys. I did not participate in the kingdom of mortality. I participated in the kingdom of life, the life unto the age. I said, no, no, I don't want to fight you today. I have to preach an hour. And if I would have lost... I know, I know. Some of y'all are like, I don't. All right, y'all focus. Thank you, I appreciate it. Focus. Trusting God. Access to God's life is given freely for everyone. Not everybody participates in it. You see, when we, and we've talked about this before, it's an objective truth. It is a finished thing. Jesus didn't say it is finished, but Jesus said it is finished. And so it's available to everybody who wants to participate in it. That becomes our subjective reality to the objective truth. And when we start trusting God, we have access to the life now that is eternal, a life unto the age now that will lead until then. I would rather not be someone who talks about off then all the time. Because oftentimes people who talk about off then oftentimes do nothing now. Right? And the people who are doing stuff now hardly ever talk about the off then. Do do you hear me? So trusting God gives us access to this life in the age to come. And this becomes the place where heaven meets earth through us. And so having an understanding of eternal life as the life of God in the age to come that can be now and then is accessible, that is accessible, now will change how you read scripture. And let me show you. You ready? I have some scripture to read. Don't be like, it's a lot of scripture. Just hang in there. Because I want you to see this. I want you to see this because I guarantee you, you probably have never, maybe you have, but you probably have never seen it like this. So now that you understand what eternal life looks like, I want to show you how simple it is now to go back and when you read the scripture go, oh, that makes sense. Watch this. Matthew 19. We'll start in verse 16 and go to 27. Someone came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, what good deeds must I do to have what? Now watch. Let's keep going. Why do you, why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the what? What did Jesus just say was a prerequisite to receiving eternal life? It's not a trick question. Keep the commandments. And what was it about the Ten Commandments that was so special, so incredible? Do you know? The top four talked about how we love God. The bottom six talk about people. So there's the, yeah, someone did the cross motion. That's right. How we love God and how we love people, right? That's what it is. And it all centers around how we love 
God and love people because love changes the world or the age of death and mortality into the age of life. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now, choose. We get all hung up on this these Ten Commandments, like, like, well, we're a grace church. We're not under the law. We're not under this, and we're not under that. And, and, and yeah, you're, you're right, but there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's not. Listen, hear me. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Trying to do them in and of yourselves is a struggle. The only way you do do them is with Jesus. And when you're walking in step with Jesus and you have eternal life with Christ, you have that intimate relationship with God, you'll do more commandments by accident than you ever could do on purpose. You'll honor God more by accident. You'll love people more by accident than you ever do do on purpose. So he asked him a very specific question. What is eternal life? Now, if we have this idea that eternal life is escapism and ending up in heaven one day, then this becomes a very interesting text to read. If you want to receive eternal life, then keep the commandments. Now watch. Keep going. Which ones? The man asked, and Jesus replied, well, watch You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely fabricate or lie. Verse 19 says, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Watch what he says. (laughs) I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? He goes on, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. This is another topic we can unpack. Is the kingdom of God a destination location, or is it part of the age to come or the age we're in? It's now. He said, for the kingdom of God is what? Now. I say, Go back. I say it again. Is it easier, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Keep going. The disciples were astonished and then said, well, then who in the world can be saved? They asked. And then Jesus looked at them intently. That is so funny. You know, like, well, how do we get saved? And that, that, that Jesus, three years we've been doing this. Three years we've been traveling, I've been teaching, I've been giving examples, three years. And Jesus looked at him intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Verse 27, watch, watch. And then Peter said, well, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? (laughs) Go ahead, Peter. So let me just real quick. I'm doing so good on time. Listen, real quick, real quick. A rich person at this time period is not the same thing as a rich person in our time period. Because you know what? We can see a rich person, and we don't think nothing about it. As a matter of fact, if you make more than $10,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. 
So when it comes to rich people, we see rich people all the time. I see there are people in this neighborhood who drive Porsches and Corvettes and Teslas and all sorts of things. All sorts of things. They, they do. They're, they're rich people everywhere. But in this time period, this was a very uncommon thing, right? And, and, and so it wasn't, like, it wasn't like Jesus was really testing him to figure out which commandments he didn't know. Jesus already knew because rich people have a hard time letting go of what? Money. Yeah, their wealth, their status. And so when he went through and he said to them, well, do these, these, oh, I've done all those. He says, now take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor and follow me. Did you know what he said? He went right back to the very top. Commandment. Don't put any other gods before me. Don't put any other gods before me. You see, being rich can make it look like you're enjoying life. Being rich can make it look like you have life. But ask any rich person, of which I'm not, but ask any rich person. Ask any rich person, does money solve your problems? Nope. I asked a rich guy once when we went to dinner, and uh, he bought my dinner. And he said, he said, anybody who thinks money solves all your problems doesn't have money. His money doesn't solve all your problems. He said, it does make being miserable a little bit easier. That's what he said. That's what he said. And so we have this story. So, so go back to this. This is, a, this is a very clear question. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus said, you get it by giving away everything you have to the poor and following me. So if we're going to take that for what it is, if your idea of eternal life is leaving here and going to heaven, doesn't that kind of flip-flop now you're reading of that scripture? You kind of look at it and go, maybe that's not what he meant. No, see, if Jesus was really talking about eternal life as, as, as going off to heaven one day and being, quote, what we call saved, right, when we talk about salvation, listen, two weeks ago, then he would have stopped at the very moment before he walked away and said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Really how you get eternal life is you have to start confessing all your sins right now, and then you have to pray this prayer and make sure you pray it in my name. That's what he's supposed to do. Ask anybody in church right now. That's what you're supposed to do. Confess your sins and pray this prayer. That's a specific question to eternal life. And Jesus tells him, sell your possessions, give it to the poor. Y'all want another one? Some of y'all are like, you're messing up my theology right now. It's okay. You don't have to agree with me. Amen? How many of y'all can come here and never agree with me? Y'all can come here for the comedy show. That's it. You can come here and feel better about yourself. That guy almost punched out the homeless guy who kicked the sign over. Y'all can feel better about yourselves. It's not true. I didn't, I didn't, oh, you're not doing, okay. That's right. Take, take him to church, Pepper. All right. So the phrase eternal life in the Greek, I'm doing good on time. The phrase eternal life in Greek, in Hebrew it's olam, in Greek it's aeonius zoe, or life unto the age. And again, it's experiencing and living God's life, uh, uh, which, which makes more sense when you, when you understand it like that, when you read passages. Okay, so let's go on to another one. So eternal life is experienced fully in Christ. Remember, when we trust Christ, the two become one in our lives, right? We have access to the life to come in the life we live in now. Go to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. Here's another situation. One day, an expert in religious law stood to test Jesus and asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal 
life. See, they knew of something. They knew of Elam. They knew, what do I need to do to inherit, to be a part of this kingdom that God is going to bring? What do I need to do? And Jesus goes back and says, what does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? And look what he says. He digs down deep. And he says, well, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And then Jesus said what? Right. So if, if, if someone's asking you, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? If, if the way that he was supposed to answer that was the way we've been telling people in church, he should have said, repent of all your sins right now and pray this prayer right now. But he didn't. What he said was, what does the law say? It comes back to the top four, the bottom six, which comes back to two, which is love God uh, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your, and, your, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which later on becomes one simple command that Jesus tells us to do, which is to, come on, church, which is the what? Love. Come on. You're right. He says, right, with an exclamation point, <laughs> right, you got it, you got it, as he looks to his disciples and was like, right, do, do, do this and you will what, church? Live. Do this and you will live. If you want, see, that's the answer to the question. What do, I, what do I do to inherit eternal life, the life in the age to come, the life, God's kind of life? What do I do? Do this and you will live. You're not really living unless you're really loving people radically. Let's go to the next one. Oh, there's another one. Love God, love people. Right. You want to experience eternal life, love God, love people. So, last but not least, John chapter 3. Start with verse 1. Now watch. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a what church? Pharisee. Go to verse 2. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus and said, Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's right there. Go back. Right there. Did he ask anything about the kingdom of God? No, he did not. He came, just like other people came, with an agenda. I want to figure out how to be a part of this kingdom. Jesus already knew. And so he answered because they've been searching and they've been longing for it. They've been hearing the words of the prophets. They've been looking forward to the Messiah who would come and deliver them from a physical oppression of Rome and enter them into a kingdom that looks like God's. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I know this is going to be hard to believe. But unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is going to stretch you. Go to verse 4. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? 
And then Peter's like, right? Verse 5. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Go. Verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life. but The Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. Watch. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now this is where, so just so you know, go back. This phrase was common. This phrase was a common phrase used in Jewish, in the Jewish time period, in the first century. They understood the born again was a phrase meaning to change the way you think. Almost like metanoia or the word of repentance. To be born again means I completely change the way I think. So why, and he goes on, watch. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Now keep going. Even though Nicodemus was having a hard time with this. It says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Jesus, I'm sorry, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's a miraculous thing. Now watch. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And then verse 10, Jesus replied, now this will give you a cue. You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. You are a respected Jewish teacher. You're in the scriptures. You know the prophecies. You know that God's kingdom is coming. You know what it's supposed to look like. You have the law, which says love God and love people, and yet you don't understand these things. Keep going. Verse 11. I assure you, we tell you what we see and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. Keep going. But if you don't believe me when I tell you the earth things, how, will you, how, uh, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Keep going. No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Right? Keep going. And the sun, and, and, the Mo, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes has this eternal life. They experience this life, this olam, this age or life of the age to come so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 16, keep going. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him does not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God sent his son into the world to save the world, not to what church? Judge the world, but to save the world through him. Keep going. It says, and there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing and God's one and only son. Keep going. And the judgment is based on this fact. That God's light has come into the world and the people who love darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is, those who do what is right, those who do what is right come to the light so, that, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. That one scripture passage has relegated eternal life to the idea of you, you, you experience eternal life, you have to be born again. Okay? And, and, and so 
is there a, a born-again experience? And, man, I got a lot to talk about on this. But, yes, there is. What created this born-again experience was Christ's death and then resurrection. How do we participate in a, quote, born-again, your spirit, you're, you're being new again? You put faith in Christ. Listen to me, though. Listen, hear me. But eternal life is experiencing this life of the age to come right now. Change the way you think about what you know about God. Change the way you think about this and experience life. For the rich man, sell your possessions. Change the way you think because worshiping money won't get you there. Sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. You'll have eternal life. Um, to the rich religious leaders, well, what does eternal life look like? Well, for you, for you, listen to you rich leaders, it requires you to love God and love people. For Nicodemus, the one who comes in the night and says, well, what does this kingdom of God, this eternal life look like? For you, Nicodemus, it, it means to be born again, to change the way you think. And allow the Spirit of God to encounter you on a spiritual level. So I know that might open up a lot more questions, right? Man, this is, for some of us, this is probably the first time you've ever heard eternal life put like this. And now that when you read eternal life, you'll go back through it. Because there's a ton of scriptures. Let me encourage you to do that. Go back through it and start reading. Go find a, a scripture a concordance and just look for eternal and go back and look at all the places eternal life is at. Because then it starts making sense. Because then it goes on in 1 John and it tells you that Jesus is the eternal life of God. That Jesus is the eternal life of God. My faith in Christ connects me with the eternal life I can live now in God. So to receive that which is from the Spirit when I trust Jesus, I experience eternal life. When I'm born again, I've changed my mind, and I now experience the eternal life. When I stop worshiping an idol like the rich man and serve others, I experience eternal life. When I choose to love God and love people, I experience eternal life. I experience God's life in the age to come now. So eternal life is the opportunity to bring heaven to earth, hear me, and not to escape earth to go to heaven. Now, a question might be thought, well, does that mean you're saying there is no heaven? I didn't say there was no heaven. There's a heaven. There's a dimension where God resigns that our last breath here is our first shout there. There's a dimension, and that dimension of heaven, by the way, is not relegated to a place off in space for all of eternity. If you go and read the back end of the book, the garden is put back together. It's put back together. Remember the garden at the beginning was split apart. We choose the tree of knowledge, good and evil, over the tree of life. Christ comes and becomes the fruit put back on the tree to provide this life. And as we go through life, we get to help usher in the kingdom of heaven. When you go back and you read the back of the book of Revelation, it says that heaven descends upon the earth and the two become one. And so until that time comes, whatever it is, let us be focused with eternal life here and now and bringing heaven to earth in the way that we love God and we love people. That is it. I know I gave you a lot to think on, and I went 45 minutes. I know some of you are like, man, my brain broke now. That's good, though. 
So here's what I want to encourage you to do. You have questions, jot them down. And I'm not going to tell you, submit them to the got questions, because we got way more questions right now than we have time. But I am going to encourage you to come out to Wednesday night and, and kick it around on Wednesday night and talk. It's good. I think the next, no, next week I got one more. I'm going to preach again next week. And I think the next two weeks or three weeks after that, we're going to, Pastor Kim and I are going to share the stage. And we're going to do kind of some rapid-fire questions that we have. You guys don't require a full message to preach, but we're going to answer a bunch of questions or get some responses to a bunch of questions and go from there. Sound good? All right. If you're mad at me right now and you're upset with what I just shared about you with eternal life, it's okay. You can email me at kim at thejourneychurch.cc. That's right. That's right. All right. That's right. Go outside and kick the sign. That's right. Oh, I love you guys. All right, let's bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wrap the service up right here, and uh, we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your goodness, God, and we thank you for your love. And so, Father, I pray, God, that as we uh, go throughout our week this week, God, that these words that I shared this morning would just reverb in our hearts. Father, that you would cause us to see them and read them in a completely different way. As we go back through the scriptures, God, and we understand eternal life from this perspective, Father, I pray that it would just be ever so clear as we read and, and we study. And, Father, I just thank you for working in us, God, and even trying and even working us to answer the questions we might have as we leave here today. So, Father, I thank you for a place called Journey Church where we can all be on a journey together, Father. I thank you for a place, God, where we can be accepted for who we are, God, and encouraged to grow past it, encouraged to grow into our capacity. And so, Father, I thank you for that. Father, I pray, God, that you would find our signs. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we'll see you next week.